Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Ask anyone who's had a major water leak and they'll tell you most of the damage could have been prevented if they had been able to stop the leak sooner. Groa, maker of innovative German-engineered showers and faucets, is helping busy homeowners like you prevent water damage and protect your home even when you're away. The new Groa SenseGuard is an intuitive, smart water controller that detects leaks, alerts you via your smartphone, and automatically shuts off your water supply before more damage is done. Protect your home, vacation, or rental properties with Groa SenseGuard and quickly stop water damage before a drip becomes a flood. Listeners of Inside the Hive can save 35% on Groa SenseGuard only at groa.us slash hive19. That's G-R-O-H-E dot U-S slash H-I-V-E and the number 19. Once again, save 35% on Groa SenseGuard at groa.us slash hive19. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton, and I am so excited to welcome back my kind of pseudo co-host. Before before I tell you who this person is, uh, if you watched the Cohen hearings yesterday, not only was she there, but she was also referenced uh, by a congressperson, um, and uh, we're going to hear all about that. Welcome back to the show. Emily Jane Fox. How lucky am I to be back again? And so soon. I know. And so soon. Well, it's, you know, I mean, everything in, in this day and age is, uh, is is compressed in time. So this is really kind of like seven dog years since you've been on Well, here, every day Ross. is a year. So. Yes. Every day is a year. So let's jump into it. So I, I have a lot of questions. And the one, the first question I have is... You went down to Washington, D.C. this week, and you were in the Cohen hearings. Um, You actually were on TV because everyone could see you. Uh, You were that close to everything. Before we get to kind of what this all means and everything, can you kind of explain – I've never been in a congressional hearing before. What is it like? Is it a circus? Is it exciting? Is it boring? what, What are people doing in the hallways? Tell, take us, paint the room for us. Okay, so I'm not, I, I live in New York. I don't frequent congressional hearings. So I can really only speak to this congressional hearing. And it was, I would imagine, probably one of the more explosive congressional hearings. I mean, we've had a few, right? We've had the Comey one. We had um, the Whitaker one a few weeks ago. But we, I guess we've been lucky enough to have these incredible hearings over the last two years, or I guess maybe unlucky uh, depending on how you look at it. And so so the media part of it is crazy because there were only a few spots. The room is pretty small. So there were only like six, seven, eight rows. And, you know, part of it is open to the public. Part of it is reserved for the witness. Part of it is reserved, I think, for um, people who know congressional staffers. And so they're really only like, I don't know, maybe 20 or so seats for press. And so... Did you did you like win a lottery or something to get in I there? I feel or? like I won the lottery, but I did not <laughs> actually win the lottery. I basically just bombarded the people in the office who were deciding this and was like, I have to be in this room. Um, so I, I got a seat in the press section. And then at the last minute, um, there was an empty seat in the front row and I took it. Wow. Um Yes, it was great, except for I was panicked the whole time that the camera was going to pan to me and I was going to be like yawning or something and I would become a meme. So I was very careful throughout the whole hearing to not do anything that would memeify me. You should have memeified. You should, there's there, there's the, the picture of the woman whose face, uh, she said, wow, exactly. to herself in, in part of it, that she she's now a meme. Um, <clears throat> okay, so... So wait, so wait, wait one, know, one thing that I forgot. Yep. Uh, yep. When we were, so you had to wait 
in order to get into the hearing room. And there are all these press people who are like seeing if there's an extra seat and this line of people from the public who are dying to get in. And so you're just waiting in the anticipations building and members of Congress are coming down the hall to take their seats on the committee. And there are live shots set up for every cable news and network to tape outside of the hearing room to try and grab these Congress members. And so it's, 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 there's a lot going on and it's a small hallway and it's marble. And so things echo. And at one point, People started cheering in the hallway like Britney Spears herself was walking down the Rayburn building. <laughs> and I turned around and it was AOC. Of course it's AOC. And I That's so myself, funny. I guess she is the closest version of a rock star in Washington, right? But it was just this fantastic moment. And then when we were in the hearing, there are probably 15 or so cameramen set up in front of the witness table and they're, you know, pretty consistently clicking photos of Cohen, particularly if he was animated or there was an exchange going on. At one point, AOC just got up to whisper something to another Democrat and all of the cameras turned to her just whispering something. Cohen was answering a fairly consequential question and it was like, click, 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 all the flashbulbs going off. It's just crazy. It's like she's a one woman beetle. Do you think that to the you know it's very clear people like Jim Jordan um, love attention? Otherwise, they wouldn't actually even be at these hearings. Do they get jealous that AOC gets all the attention? I don't think. I don't think they love it, right? Can you can yeah, you imagine sure. this young twenty-something girl who has policies that are exactly opposite to everything they believe in, getting? all of the attention, sucking all the oxygen up in the room. I don't think they love it. I also thought, I mean, she's not necessarily asking for that aspect of it where all the cameras turn to, to her, but I would imagine there's a lot of shit talking that's going on behind the scenes when something like that happens. Uh, okay, so let's get to the hearing. So the opening of Cohen's testimony was... It leaked the day before, which actually kind of sucked because it was like you'd heard what happens at the end of the next X-Men movie before you saw it. But I've there was still lots of... I've never seen an X-Men dr- movie, but sure. They're pretty good. Okay. Most of them. Some of them aren't. But okay, a Bourne movie, a Bond movie. I guess you know what's going to happen at all of them, at the end of all of them. But anyway... It leaked, and um, he still. It was still pretty impressive to see what he had to say. Uh, he called Trump a racist. He essentially said he was like a mobster. Um, were you shocked by any of the opening, or was it kind of just like, "All right, here's the beginning. Let's get into this." Um, here's what I will say. I, I guess it's it's hard for me to be shocked by any of this because I. I've interviewed Cohen a lot, uh, and I've talked to him a lot, both on and off the record. So for me, it's not nothing in there was completely shocking. Actually, the Roger Stone phone call on speakerphone, I did not know about, and that was surprising to me. Um, and the way that he went after... Tell, tell our listeners oh, the, the, that, that, so, that real so quick. So there was um, a story, uh, a recollection that Cohen put into his opening statement saying that he had been in President Trump's or then just Donald Trump's office in Trump Tower and Roger Stone called. As we know, Roger Stone is a famous dirty trickster who has known Donald Trump for a very, very long time. He's a tattoo of Nixon on his back. And he was recently indicted saying that he had communicated with WikiLeaks in order to coordinate the hack of Hillary Clinton uh, leading up to the 2016 presidential election. So according to Cohen's opening statement, he was in Trump's office in Trump Tower. Roger Stone called, picked up the phone, put it on speakerphone. I have to say, in my reporting for my book and all the reporting I've done about things that have happened in Trump Tower, putting people on speakerphone rings very true to me. It just comes up a lot in, in stories that are completely unrelated. So this that rang true. Uh, and apparently on this phone call, Roger Stone alerted the president or Trump that the WikiLeaks dump of Hillary's emails would happen. And this is something that the president has denied. I believe he de- denied it in his answers to Robert Mueller's questions. And so yeah, if I this is true, um, that is bad. This is, this is very damaging for the president. Now, there's no corroborating evidence to that claim. 
But is there a way to corroborate it? I mean, other than the fact that... There is definitely... You know, you- uh, there was a sense, the way that Cohen answered questions about that in follow-up, uh, I think one of his answers was something like, um, there is some sort of... It made me believe like he's not the only person who knows about this and that potentially Robert Mueller's office has the answer on this though the way that he answered it just made me think this is not pure speculation but uh and and hearsay but that there's corroborating either evidence or testimony that can attest to this well the thing that i found actually you know what was really interesting to watch was you have jim jordan who is just a fucking idiot honestly i mean his his he he had no interest in actually getting to the bottom of anything all he had an interest in doing was defending the republican agenda and trump uh uh and there are republicans who were on twitter saying the exact same thing at least pretend that you have some real questions but but what i did find really interesting was that cohen was he was very careful in the respect of he would respond to things about trump that were where trump had done things in genuinely illegal or wrong or whatever it was but not all of them it wasn't it was very balanced like when when there was a congressperson who said to him you know is there a videotape of him punching melania um uh, cohen said we tried to find it it apparently doesn't exist i don't believe it exists i don't believe donald trump would ever hit a woman you know uh, he said also there was a moment where uh, there's the story of the of the the love child apparently that mm-hmm. exists with the elevator person and so on and he said I don't believe that's true and I I found it really interesting that Cohen was seemed to be very factual and careful with the things that were fact and the things that were not the question I have is do, do does any of this actually go to a next level as a result of that or was Jordan and the Republicans' ability to say well you're a liar. Uh, you've lied to Congress before. This is all BS. Um, is that going to kind of hamper any of it? Well, a couple of things. I don't think that Republicans trying to discredit him was effective. I think there are there were so many ways. If you put a panel of journalists up there instead of partisan people who are protecting the president, you could have discredited Cohen much faster. There are, like the Roger Stone instance, uh, there was one example that he brought up in his opening statement that he had overheard Donald Trump Jr. talking to Trump before the infamous Trump Tower meeting with the Russian offering dirt on Hillary Clinton. And he had seen Donald Trump go Jr. go behind his father's desk, which was a rare thing, apparently, and said, you know, everything's all set for the meeting. And he was saying he inferred that that was about the this infamous meeting. Now, if you and I were on that panel, we would dig into that. We would say, well, couldn't you have been talking about any number of meetings that were happening in Trump Tower? Like, that office was sometimes like Grand Central Station. People are coming in, people are coming out. He loved to show people around the office and show the memorabilia in the office and whatever. So they didn't even take the opportunity to discredit him in a smart way. All they did was keep talking about the crimes that he already committed and pled guilty to in the Southern District of New York, um, the fact that he had lied to Congress. And those were very valid things. Those are real, justifiable questions about Cohen's credibility on a witness stand, right? But Cohen's answer was, you're right. I I did tell a lie. I did commit crimes. I am a convicted felon. I am going to prison. I'm going to pay the ultimate price for my crimes. But I already admitted it. And the most compelling thing to me was that he brought receipts. He brought a, oh, yeah. a treasure trove of documents. And what he said was, you can question my credibility. I get it. That's why I brought the documents, because you cannot believe me. But when you're staring at a check dated August 1st, 2017, from President J. Trump, or Donald J. Trump's personal account signed Donald J. Trump. This is eight months into his administration. You can't deny that. You can't say that's not credible. It's a fucking bank check. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you, uh, we are about to publish, as we speak, our uh, wonderful editors and copy editors are going through it. But this afternoon, we'll have a story up um, 
about the the behind the scenes of Cohen finding these documents and it's it's so funny to me so so he has been spending the last several weeks writing this opening statement he was in his apartment with a legal pad scribbling out something that was very close to what we heard in the committee room the scathing rebuke of the president with all of these anecdotes and once he was finished with the draft he gave it to his team of lawyers and his team of lawyers looked at it and they said look this is clear it's concise it's effective it's damning the only issue is you're going to be attacked for your credibility and they're going to try and find any hole in any of these stories. And so just because you don't have anything backing this up, you know, that's just know that they're going to be able to find holes and say, well, what proof do you have? And just know that that's something you have to be prepared for. And so that's ruminating, marinating in his head. And he has the TV on in his apartment and he sees Congressman Adam Schiff, who's actually um, head of the House Intel Committee where Cohen is testifying today. And he sees Schiff on TV talking about Trump's financials and possibly getting his hands on some Trump financial documents. And he, a light bulb goes off in his head. And he says, wait a minute, I have some documents about Trump's financials. They're in the boxes that investigators seized from my apartment when they came in with their search warrants in April. And he had those boxes in a storage unit in his building. And it's funnily enough, it, he still lives in a Trump building. And it's actually the building in New York where Jared and Ivanka keep an apartment. So he went down to the basement into the storage unit and there were nine boxes there. And he goes through box number one and it's kind of junk and he goes through box number two and it's more junk and he opens up box number three and he says to himself, oh my God, I hit the mother load because in there is uh, three years worth of Trump's financial disclosures, which he has used in varying ways to both inflate and deflate his wealth when it served him. So he inflated it when he wanted to get a higher ranking on the Forbes list, for instance, and deflated it when he meant uh, when he tried to get a loan from Deutsche Bank in order to buy the Buffalo Bills. So he has these documents from 2011 through 2013. He has all these um, newspapers, articles, magazine clippings with handwritten notes from Trump on them saying one of them said, you know, it was a negative article and it said, Michael C. Um, call the reporter and threaten him with a lawsuit, Donald Trump. Uh, one was an article that was had a considerable amount of attention paid to Cohen and on it, it says like, Michael C. Enjoy this while it lasts, Donald Trump. And then he finds this email with Alan Weisselberg, who is uh, the CFO of the Trump Organization, whose name was brought up about a million times yesterday as someone who no truly does know where all the bodies are buried and all where all the checks were written and cashed. And the email ex exchange was about these reimbursements that the Trumps paid to Cohen for the Stormy Daniels payout. And he said to himself, wait a minute, I know that these 11 checks for $35,000 were signed by the Trumps. I'm going to go to the bank and find these checks. So 48 hours before he set to testify, he goes to the bank and gets the check with Donald Trump's signature on it. Wow. And then the day <clears throat> before the testimony, he gets another check that's signed by Donald Trump Jr. And then yesterday in the hearing room, not only did he talk about them, but they were submitted to the committee and made into slides that were then shown in the committee room and I guess broadcast on TV too. And so it all came together sort of at the end there. And I thought it was one of the most compelling pieces of evidence that the president and his son have potentially committed crimes while he was in office. Now, it's one thing if you were to be convicted of a campaign finance violation pre-office, right? If you're committing it's a crime thing. when you're in office, yep. that makes it impeachable. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read and those people suggest you should read and those that you buy and end up sitting on your bedside table is ever-expanding and doesn't seem to stop. You simply just don't have enough time to read them all. Well, our sponsor this week, Blinkist, has solved your long list of must-reads once and for all. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements – so you can read or listen to them in under 50 minutes all on your phone. You can actually read and then switch to listening and back and forth. It's fantastic. With Blinkist, you will expand your knowledge and learn more in just 15 minutes than you can in almost any other way. Plus, you can listen anywhere you want. I 
love Blinkist. I use it all the time. It has a lot of incredible timeless classics like Think and Grow Rich and, of course, current bestsellers like Fire and Fury. I have recently this morning just been listening to Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which is a fascinating, fascinating book. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from their best of lists, so you're always getting the most powerful ideas in this made-for-mobile format. There are 5 million people who are using Blinkist to expand their minds 15 minutes at a time. It is a fantastic app. You really should check it out. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Hive to start receiving a seven-day free trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Hive. You know how to spell that, H-I-V-E, to get your free seven-day trial. Check it out. I'm telling you, you'll love it. You can you can listen to and read as many books as you want in that period, and you will continue to long afterwards, I can assure you. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Okay, so I have a lot more questions about the testimony and whatnot, but the question that I have is, every time something happens with Trump, I have family members and friends that say, this is a big deal, right? Well, it actually started off, they would be like, is this a big deal? Uh, and I'd be like, no, it's not a big deal. It's just another thing. And then it was like, this is a big deal, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I was asked that question yesterday, and I didn't actually know how to answer because it it seems like it could be a big deal, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, if, if someone had, were testifying like this, they would be, they would, impeachment proceedings would be like being signed today. But we live in a Trump era. Uh, and I was actually on the phone with someone yesterday who was there during the Nixon hearings um, and, and and was saying to me, this is way more damning than the stuff that I heard back then. Uh, do you think this is a big deal? Like, is is, is this testimony, there's two, there's two, well, there's three scenarios. One is that it just kind of flitters away and nothing happens with it. The second is that, you know, as we saw with AOC's questioning, it's very clear that she is was asking her questions in order to be able to justify uh, more subpoenas, especially around Donald Trump's taxes, which could lead us to the next level. And then there's the third version of it, which is, oh, it's very clear that Donald Trump and his son broke the law. Something bad will happen. Do you think any of this stuff actually, is this a big deal? I think so. And here's why. As you just very smartly pointed out, the Democrats were handed a roadmap yesterday. They were handed a roadmap of the kinds of financial crimes the president has allegedly or possibly committed, the kinds of funny money stuff that he was potentially doing, the kinds of people they need to call in now to get answers from. They need, I mean, if you or someone sitting on that committee or anyone who watched that who is in Washington or in a position of power, if you're not, if your first move today wasn't trying to subpoena Alan Weisselberg, like, wake up because this is, this is the guy, everyone keeps saying, you know, Cohen's the guy who buried all the bodies. He knows everything about Trump organization. And to some extent, he was doing that for the last 10 years. Alan Weisselberg has has truly been signing every check and in every financial decision for the Trump organization since Fred Trump was running the Trump organization. So wow. this is this is a man but who truly but Weisselberg is not going to turn on Trump in the way that Cohen did, right? Well, wouldn't you, I would have said that about Cohen a year ago. I would I would have looked point. you in the eye and say said this guy is not giving him up, right? Yeah. There's a, also like if you are subpoenaed to Congress, 
there's a difference between voluntarily not wanting to turn on someone and lying under oath to Congress. Cohen's going to jail in part because he lied to Congress. So it's a very different thing. Now, is it possible that Trump could pardon him and he would have that assurance? Sure. But if you're bringing in Alan Weisselberg, there's not going to be a Donald Trump to pardon you in that instance. And I think you know that. And so I I just can't see a, a scenario under which they bring him in and he lies under oath and they just well, accept the, that. The I mean, you do have the the um, the ability, I, you know, we saw this, you know, I've been writing lately a lot about Elizabeth Holmes and she, who, a woman who says that she could recite Jane Austen by heart and Marcus Aurelius and so on. And when she was questioned by 12 lawyers from the SEC, she said uh, 600 times that she couldn't remember. And that is a defense that one could use, that Cohen probably could have used quite considerably. It's a frustrating one, but it is one that you can't deny. So I wonder if, and look, I, we're hypothetical, you know, these are all hypotheticals here, but I wonder if, if someone like Weisselberg would do that. So the, here's a question for you, though. So you said just now, a year ago, I would not have thought, I would have told you Cohen would never turn on Donald Trump. Is is this some, you watch him at the hearing and he's genuinely, especially when you talk about his kids, he's tearing up, he's fighting back, you know, losing it on camera. Um, I did a much better job than Brett Kavanaugh did. Um, do you think that he had, was there a come to Jesus moment where he realized, oh, this guy doesn't care about me. I'm not going to go down for him. Or he realized I've been a bad person. Or was it that I got caught? You know, Cohen, you spent a lot of time with him. You were standing, sitting, I think maybe three and a half feet away from him during the hearing. Um, what What do you think is going on in his head? Not what he's told you, but what, as someone who analyzes these people for a living, like, what do you think really happened with him from a, from a existential standpoint? It's a number of factors that happened both incredibly quickly and painfully slowly. So at this point last year, he was going to Mar-a-Lago. He was visiting the president tr- twice in Mar-a-Lago. Trump was calling him almost every day. I mean, what they brought up in the hearing yesterday was that something that I had reported, I was in there on Valentine's Day and Trump called him while I was interviewing Cohen on Valentine's Day that year and they were t- calling to talk about stormy stuff. But these were two guys who were very clearly speaking all the time. Um, but what happened after uh, it was clear that Cohen was under criminal investigation totally and very quickly precipitated the decline. Uh, there was, first Trump was out there publicly distancing himself with from Cohen, saying things like, oh, he did a very small portion of my legal work, and uh, the, the problems that Michael have are completely unrelated to me. They're about his taxi business, and they're just totally unrelated to the Trump organization. And you had Rudy Giuliani, uh, Trump's personal lawyer, doing the same kinds of things. And then there was a fight over legal fees. And I think that that's where things really, uh, the, the rift really started. The Trump Organization had initially promised to pay for Cohen's legal fees, and then they backed out of that deal. And it became very clear that Cohen was going to have a mountain of legal bills and no real way to pay for it. And he had been relying on on their word that they were going to make good and actually pony up. So when those two things combine, I think what happened was Cohen realized, oh, shit. I am out here on an island alone and no one's going to help me privately. No one's going to help me publicly. And what the fuck am I doing sticking up for this man who I've spent the Mm. last 10 years being incredibly loyal to. And now he's completely turned his back on me. And I think Cohen in the back of his mind had seen him do Trump does this to everybody who gets close to him. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I Cohen had obviously seen that, but it's like, and almost like an, an abused girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, when your significant other is abusive to you, you always think, or, or is treating you badly, or it's just not a good person, uh, you say, oh, well, I'm going to be the one that changes them. I'm the different one. I'm the special one. And every single time, that's not the case. That The person is who they are. And Donald Trump is uh, certainly a leopard who's not changing his spots. So I think what happened was once once he realized no one's publicly defending me, in fact, they're publicly distancing themselves from me, 
and they're not even going to help me out financially during this when I'm in this pickle because of my protecting you, he realized, hang on, I got to step back and reevaluate everything that I thought was true and real and right for the last 10 years. And there was a, there was a moment of self-reflection where he said to myself, like, why did I do these things? I think he had been so caught up in the glitz and glam and power of it all that he had just thought, you know what, this is part of the job. I lie, I threaten people, I pay people off. This is part of the job and I want this job and I want to be around these people. And until that merry-go-round stopped very abruptly for him last April, I don't think he ever took the time to think about it. Now, that's hard for people like you and me to understand, right? I I don't think that if I had a boss who was saying, in, well, I know that if I had a boss who was saying incredibly racist things, or asking me to do things that were illegal, I would get off that merry-go-round real quick. But uh, that's not what he did. That's not what he chose to do. And I think once he realized the toll that this was also having on his family, I mean, I've spent time with the family and they they are suffering. And this is not an easy thing. And they did not make the decision to go work for do you think that um last question about michael cohen's um uh personality but do you was he do you know anything like was he a good guy when he was growing up like was he like a sweet kid or was he like you know did he get into trouble did he like threaten people on the playground i think he was a hustler tell them that he was i think he was always a hustler from from people i've talked to and from conversations i've had with him he he was like doing running some kind of auto business in high school and Always kind of had a had something going to 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 pull in cash, um, and he was kind of a hustler, yeah. But he's been with his wife forever, right? They, they've been together since they were teenagers, and they have what seems like a very lovely marriage. They care about each other a tremendous amount, and so uh, I mean, you never know what goes on in people's houses. But but this is a guy who has friends from his whole life, and I think that that says a lot about a person that they're. He's friends with people who went to middle school with. His wife is someone he's known since he was a teenager. And I think that'll tell you about the kind of guy uh, people who have known him for a long time think he is. Do you um, – does he think that Donald Trump will end up being impeached or going to jail or does he not have a viewpoint on it? I don't – I think I think he would want that to happen. I don't know that he has a, a lot of faith in anything right now. But I, I – Yeah. I think uh, he probably has faith in democracy, but it's, well, it's but hard he to did imagine. Say, he did say at the end of the hearing, that moment that was the wow moment where he said, you know, if Donald Trump loses the 2020 election, it will not be a peaceful transition. Yeah. Uh, you know, he knows, he, he knows Trump. Out. He knows Trump. Yeah. And he knows that he's a cockroach. Oh, so, so terrifying. Um, all right. So next up, we have this, you know, we, we go through this hearing. We have all these questions around. We have the receipts. We have the checks. Um, do you, what do you get? The, what's going to happen? So is Cohen done? He's got his, he's got, you know, some more questions. Of course, he's going to answer. Does Cohen just go off to jail? And now it's off to the next, you know, trying to get Weisselberg and, um, and other folks like that. Is that what happens next? Cohen made it very clear yesterday that he is continuing to work with the Southern District of New York and cooperate in investigations here. So he's he's a free man for another two months. I think he will probably continue to cooperate with them as needed until then. It's possible they yank him out of jail if they need him to cooperate fuller um, if, if other things come up and they bring him back to testify or um, use him as a witness or something like that. But uh, I think at some point, come May 6th when he reports to federal prison, he retreats and does his time and keeps his head down. And I think they do move on to the next line of people. Have they, have they found a, um, uh, um, a, uh, have they picked the prison that he's going to go to yet? Or? He had requested, I, I don't know if it's been granted, but he had requested in December when he was sentenced to go to Otisville here in New York. It's c- close by. Um, and it is, uh, it's not like one of those Martha Stewart prisons, but it's not a terrible prison as far as federal prisons go. And I think that there's a big uh, religious Jewish population there. And that's why he has to go there. Cohen's um, Well, 
and then, and so then there's all these threats, right, that are against him, and um, he he has all these things that's going to happen. Um, I mean, the, there, what, what was it yesterday? We have a congressperson that was saying uh, um, that he he was going to what did they say? He was going to be gang raped in prison or something like that. I've, oh I, I, I forget I didn't who it was. See that. I don't know if it was a, somebody was saying it online, and of course on Twitter, and of course I think Twitter said, "Oh, that's not a threat," because you know Twitter's Twitter. Um, Jesus, but that's okay, not so a let's. Threat. My God, I know, right? Well, of course, you know, you know how that that stupid yes. website works. So next up, you you're going to see more congressional hearings. Um, you're going to see more subpoenas. Do you think they're going to get the tax returns anytime soon? They seem to be laying the groundwork pretty well yesterday for a need to see these tax returns. I would not be surprised if in the next, what, four months you see a subpoena for them, especially if if the tide keeps going in the direction that it was set off to go in yesterday. I felt like there was just some momentum for why this is actually necessary, not just Democrats trying to bring Trump down or curiosity from people who don't like the president. Like it felt like this is pretty essential to the investigation into uh, criminal wrongdoing by the president. And so I would not be, I would be more surprised if they didn't subpoena them at this point than if they did. And then if they get subpoenaed, they leak out in like five minutes, right? It's not like. If that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So. As someone who kind of lives in this world and thinks about these people, Lucky uh, probably more than more probably more than anyone would want to. Um, do you think that the next what is it till the election? It's what like eighteen months or something like that. Um, is it going to get to a point where um, you know you've got? 4,632 Democrats running for president right now. I think that's the number. Um, it's precise. Do you, you've got, there's a theory out there that Donald Trump, that somebody will, will say, you know, a Republican will say, oh, we're going to, uh, um, we're going to run against Trump. Um, it's, of course, it's never happened before that that successfully happened with a sitting president, but there's a theory that'll happen. How, how do you think this is all going to kind of play out over the next you know, 18 months. Or do you think there's anything that can come out of these hearings, be barring an impeachment and even that still, that could change the base, the Republican base to, to vote differently? Or is it just kind of, I have a theory that what, however people are going to vote today, you could find 5 billion receipts and they'll still vote the same way in 18 months. Like, what, what do you think is going to happen? I think... I think that the 38 to 40% is pretty solid unless there's something so insanely damning, right? But it depends where that 38 to 40% is. So if it stays exactly in the states that it was last time, he could get reelected. If it shifts around and the electoral math changes, I mean, Trump lost the popular vote. He's president because... They campaigned in the right states and that 38% of the population that voted for him or 40%, whatever it was, was in the right place. So if he loses Pennsylvania and he doesn't hang on to Wisconsin and doesn't pick up somewhere else that has enough uh, to make up the math, then he could be in trouble. So it just depends on which voters he's turning off and turning on. And that has the potential to shift. I think that one thing that we're underestimating uh, is going to be after tax season. If you start talking to people... What's going to happen after tax season? People... So because of the tax legislation that passed two years ago, they people are, are not getting the tax refunds that they once got and counted on. Now, the reason is because you're supposedly getting less out of your taxes every two weeks or every month, whatever it is, depending on how you're paid. And so not having a refund is a good thing because you have more money to live on all year. But the reality is, is that people are able to deduct a lot less unless you're in a very, very high tax bracket. And even though you may have more money throughout the year, that is a psychological thing when it comes to consumer spending and consumer confidence to get that 
tax refund that you always get. It's kind of like this this great little bonus that you build into your financial planning. And if people aren't getting that, then psychologically, they don't feel great about the economy. And psychologically, they don't feel great about the, the Trump tax reform, which they already didn't. And then you start thinking, hey, President Trump campaigned on the fact that we were going to bring back the economy and turn around the job market. Why am I getting less money? Why? Yes. Why am I getting less money? Why is he taking away my stuff when these billionaires are actually the ones who are benefiting from it? There are no more jobs for me. Yes, the stock market is on a tear, but the vast majority of Americans don't have any money in the stock market. They may have 401ks, but they're not cashing out their 401ks. They're saving that for later. And so if we get into a situation where people start feeling like this guy's actually a total fraud when it comes to the economy, a total fraud when it comes to the wall. What has he actually done for me? And and why am I not any better off than I was four years ago? Then that's when things could start to move, particularly in those states that he really needs to hang on to electorally. Well, from your mouth to God's ears. Um, all right, I know you only have a few minutes left before you've got to dash off for some other massive media thing on television or wherever it I've is that you're I've gotten my hair done like to. five times in the last two days. It may fall off. <laughs> um, what? Okay, let's let's do a little bit of a, a round robin here. What were some of the most um, compelling things that you heard yesterday in the ter- in the testimony? Things that kind of that that were not. Maybe maybe they were jaw dropping. I don't know. What were the things that really stood out to you? Okay, wait. I'm going to pull Do this up because I want to read it to you. Quick, uh, quick hits on these things. Oh, you have this all, all in a document. Well, Fantastic. I, I don't have it all in a document. I tweeted. You brought it. receipts. I, I brought. I'm putting them on slides as we speak. If only we were in the same place. <laughs> okay. No. In in the the, um, the prepared testimony, he tweeted something about Don. Or no, he tweeted. I tweeted something that that was about Don Jr. That was so, uh, such a knife in the back, twisted in every which way that I just, I loved it. I like want to get it tattooed on my face. Um, okay, so this is what he said. <laughs> Quote, Trump had frequently told me and others that his son Don Jr. had the worst judgment of anyone in the world. And also that Don Jr. would never set up a meeting of any significance alone and certainly not without checking with his father. So he's calling Donald Trump Jr. the biggest idiot in the world, according to his father. This is a guy who has massive daddy issues, and I just can't think of anything worse that he could say to Don Jr. Do you think that Don Jr. will say something to his dad and be like, did you no. really say that, Dad? No. He's just going to tell his therapist about it. His therapist. That guy is, he may tell the he buffaloes he's hunting, you know? This is for daddy. <laughs> it's exactly right. <laughs> Beware all you wildlife out Who, there. Who's your daddy? Um, all right. Next one. Next up. Oh, next uh, explosive thing. I thought one, yeah. one of the things that I thought was particularly moving was when he said, I spent the last 10 years of my life doing silly shit for the president. And look how I turned yeah. out. I covered up for him. And look at the consequences of that. And you guys are now doing what I did yeah. for the last 10 years. And I thought that that was so damning of the Republican Party and just rung really true to me that we're, we've seen one by one people fall who have been involved with Trump on his campaign and his business. Cohen is is probably the perfect example, but Manafort, who had been a criminal forever, didn't get charged until he got involved with Trump. Flynn, who had been doing shady shit for a long time, got involved with Trump and got charged. Rick Gates, all these other people who are now caught in the crosshairs only are caught in the crosshairs because they got involved with Donald Trump. And the Republicans are now doing the same kind of bidding that all those people had done. And they're going to pro- probably suffer the consequences down the line, or I hope they do. No, I mean, but the question is, is I, I hope that they suffer the consequences, but the question is, is don't aren't these people just appealing to the base and the base doesn't care? I mean, they, you know, Cohen said in his testimony, you know, that Donald Trump had said he could go out on Fifth Avenue and famously shoot someone, right? And nothing would happen. Isn't it the same for the base? Like, they don't give a shit about if... If, 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 I mean, the West Virginia, was it the woman from West Virginia who had this, this ridiculous 
um, speech about how I cannot believe we're holding a congressional hearing to talk about this. We should be talking about more important issues like the opioid epidemic and and immigration. It's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. You are such a, a fake hypocrite. And Jim Jordan, like with his his quotes that were all so stupid that made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I truly do believe that these people do end up suffering the consequences of this, but I just don't believe that I, I, that the American people who voted for Trump really give a shit whether he shot someone on Fifth Avenue or not. Well, I don't know that the American people would care, but these people are going to suffer the consequences. I'll give you... So Sam Numberg, who is... Uh, long been around Trump world and uh, I, I think people know him. I think he actually loves your podcast, Nick. Um, but I oh, was speaking. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Hi, Sam. Um, we were, I was speaking with him earlier today when I was on my train back from DC uh, and we were talking about something related to this, but he said something that is a perfect thing. Uh, he has such good insights into Trump world because he's been around it for so long. And he said to me that actually Roger Stone once said to him when he was first starting to work for Trump that the problem with working for Trump is everyone around them, like now a Jim Jordan, starts to believe that they're like Donald Trump and they can get away with this stuff and they can too rationalize away um, defending some of the things that he's defended and getting behind the policies and calling uh, Russia a witch hunt and uh, the Russia investigation a witch hunt and all those things. But as Stone relayed to Numberg and Numberg relayed to me, that only works for Trump. And the biggest mistake that people make is that they, because they're around Trump, they think they can behave like Trump and get away with it. But actually, Trump is the only one who can actually get away with it. And I thought that that was a very good point. And it rung true to me. And I think that that's something that every Republican who's getting up there and doing Trump's bidding needs to think about because Donald Trump may be able to get away with shooting people on Fifth Avenue, but these people who are enabling him right now and aiding and abetting him and doing what he is doing don't have that kind of insane level of forgiveness and get out of jail free card that Donald Trump has. And so the chickens will come home to roost, right? Last question for you. Um, Given that we've seen these hearings uh, and we've seen the, the, the stuff come out, um, and we all still have the Mueller report. Do we have any information on that, by the way? Is that is that supposedly coming out in the next? I've, I've, for for two years now, I've heard I'm it's coming stop out in the next even two weeks. Speculating. I mean, every, every, first of all, everything happens in the next two weeks, and I don't know who 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 knows until I see the Mueller report. If we ever see their Mueller report, I won't believe it exists. Uh, I, I I bet you at the end of the day, just Mueller just tweets like he's an asshole or something like that. Um, not a funny joke. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> When you when you look at what is um, what we heard yesterday and what will likely come out in the next few months, do you think that there is a world ever that Trump is impeached? Yeah. Or you do? Do I think there's a world ever where that happens? Yeah. Yeah. I How? mean, I you got you think the Republicans are ever going to turn on him? There could come a moment. Where I think particularly because the Southern District of New York is so hot to trot and probing on a lot of things that people who know Trump believe could be very damaging to him. If there's real evidence of like a true crime, I think that that could move the needle. If it's a political thing... If I mean, look, if if there's if there comes to be evidence that Trump is is on the phone to Putin and there's a recorded phone call of it and you hear the quid pro quo, sure, that could move the needle, too. But I think Russia is less likely to get the Republicans there. But something that's like a real crime that that the American public can understand and, and says, like, we cannot have our president committing that kind of crime, then, yeah, I think that that people could move to impeach him. And do you think that um, at some point, I know I said last question before, but this is my real last question. Ugh. Do you think that, uh, <laughs> do, do, sorry. I'm going to charge you extra. Yeah. Uh, Bill, 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 our editor. Um, do you think that Trump, I mean, I, I looked yesterday, I was watching as the hearings going on, I'm watching the photos and the videos of Trump in, um, 
North Korea, well, doing with the North Korea summit in Vietnam. Uh, And he just looks miserable. He looks like he's not having a good time. He looks like he's losing on all fronts. There's no wall. I mean, he's had a rough few months, like the wall thing that didn't happen, the... You know, him getting pounced on by Pelosi. I mean, Pelosi's, what, what, you know, essentially what, mopped the floor with him lately. Nothing is going his way. I can't think um, of the last win he had. Yeah. Do you think that he's like, is there, do you think there's a tiny, tiny, tiny chance where he's like, fuck it, I'm, I'm not going to run in 2020. This country's stupid. If he thinks he can win, gonna, then no. Like, he, if he, because it's about winning, it's not about enjoying it. And I don't think he would back down. I think he'd rather be miserable for four more years than back down. But if there is a a real chance that he's not going to win, I feel like I've said this before on your podcast. I do not think he's putting himself in a situation to lose. I just don't. Yeah. All right, Emily Jane Fox. It has been fascinating as always. Did you did you talk to Cohen? I saw you guys were sitting pretty close to each other. Did you like have a handshake and a high, or was it? We didn't during the hearings. Um, he was very focused, and you know, don't want to get in his way. But yeah, you know, I have a sense of, of how he's feeling today. Uh, felt last night. He was exhausted last night. And uh, oh, I'm sure I can't even imagine what that's like. I think he was just drained, but I think he felt good about his performance. I think he felt like he went in there and did what he needed to do and got it done and and was very eager to have today behind him and to just get back to New York. And now he is two months before it goes away. That's that's two months is nothing. And so I think he just wants to get all of his affairs in order, spend as much time with his family and close friends as possible and just get this over with. Well, on that note, let's get this podcast over Please. with. Emily Jane Fox, thank you so much. Go have fun on television. And uh, and um, it was really great to have you, as thank always. Thank you for having me. Thanks to my guest this week, Emily Jane Fox. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. That's me. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors this week, Groa and Blinkist. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. Stay tuned next week. I have not one, but two exciting guests. So I will talk to you then. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.